Hey guys, welcome in to Stinky Truth Podcast alongside Mike Evans. I am Mark Schlereth, a millennial Ben, producing the show. Mike, how are you, buddy? Oh, I, by my way, oh, excuse yeah. me. Just wait, right. We got stuff to get done first. Right. First, we got to thank our uh, presenting sponsor, great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet like a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers. Uh, also, Stinking Good Green Chili as well. Make sure you check it out, stinkinggood.com. All right, there we go. Mike, how are you, buddy? Yes, pleasantries aside, yes. we're done. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm great. And uh, two weeks into the season, we got emerging storylines and well, one that you witnessed firsthand calling San Francisco and Seattle last week for Fox. Trey Lance goes down right, with a season-ending ankle injury. Jimmy Garoppolo, the guy that supposedly the 49ers were looking to move on from, is now back at the helm. And suddenly people are looking at the 49ers differently. I certainly am. I Like, I certainly am. Listen, here's the thing. And, and Trey Lance, what a great kid, man. You want to talk about smart, articulate, um, like this guy, I think he's made of the right stuff. Like I think he's he gets it, right? And he understands the growth process. He understands that, hey, man, I played at a small school. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I played at a small school. But I understand that, you know, I only played really, what, 16, 17 games throughout my college career. Like I, even though you won a national championship, um, like he just understands there's a growth process, right? He hasn't logged enough. He he hasn't taken enough snapshots. He hasn't logged enough time. He hasn't, you know, you, there's a learning curve that goes with it, and he gets that. And, you know, I'm talking to Kyle Shanahan as I'm getting ready to call Seattle at San Fran, and I'm like, how hard is it to develop a young quarterback and win at the same time? Like, like the juxtaposition of development versus winning. And he said, it, you know, it's freaking – next to impossible it's a really hard thing to do but that was the commitment level they made because they went up in the draft you know from whatever it was 12 to 3 I think is what it, what it was to go pick uh Trey Lance and gave up a couple first rounders and everything else right so that was the commitment that they made and all of a sudden he goes away he hurts his ankle he breaks his ankle and the rest is history right he's going to be out for the year and now this offense changes and morphs back into a Jimmy Garoppolo-led offense. But here's the deal. What you lose offensively from a quarterback-designed run standpoint and how much more effective you are in the RPO game, the run-pass option game, right, where you're just reading one player um, and you're throwing off that player or you're handing the ball off or whatever the case may be, right? It, it just There's a simplification in that offense where the thing about San Fran is nine guys are still doing the exact same thing, whether they're blocking, you know, whether they're blocking for a a handoff to the running back, a a straight handoff to the running back, a zone read to a running back where the quarterback is reading, you know, the defensive end. And he's saying, Hey, if the guy pinches, I take off with the ball. If the guy kind of plays surf technique and floats, I hand the ball off to, to the quarterback designed run stuff or the, the passing game. Whatever you lose in that, you make up for, and they're still going to run the heck out of the ball. And listen, man, I probably talked to 12 teams in the offseason. Every single team that I talked to was studying San Francisco's run game and how Kyle does it. So that's the respect and reverence even that they have for that run game. On top of that, talking to Clint Hurt, the defensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks, said this is – the hardest run game in the National Football League to defend. Mike, it's still going to be super hard to defend even without the quarterback runs. 
but the level of the passing game that Jimmy Garoppolo brings with him into that huddle, that's what's going to set them apart. And that's why right now, hey, man, they may have been a better team in the future if you develop Trey Lance this year and then for the next four or five years you've got him. Probably would have been better in the future, but for the immediate present right now, they're a better football team with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're a more dangerous offense with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're a team that goes to me from a team with Trey Lance as they're trying to develop that kid as a potential playoff team fighting for a wild card berth at 9-8 and eight or 10-7 and seven to winning this division. Because they've matched up really well over the years against the Rams. They have. Then, as you described this, and you did a very good job of doing it, this tightrope that San Francisco was, is and was trying to walk just – it kind of con- it confounds me because on one hand you say with Jimmy Garoppolo you got a team that's in a championship window a right. legitimate championship window right now and yet they were ready to throw that aside just to maybe develop a quarterback for the future no guarantees yeah and they were willing to almost punt on this season a a championship window caliber season just to develop, it, it it really calls into question, really why they did this in the first place. It really does. Yeah, I, I, how can you I be? I think what you saw. I think what you see with them is we've got a really good football team, and like to make it to to win a Super Bowl. Like I think they feel like Jimmy is there's a ceiling there, and. They understand how hard it is to win consistently without a guy who covers warts. Like, Jimmy is really good at executing the offense when everything is clicking. But he doesn't, he's not a wart coverer. So you have to, you're always going to have to be really good. This is what makes it so, so hard to win. So do we need to, to stop short? I'm sorry to interrupt, but do we, then do we need to just stop short of talking about this as a championship team? That they're they're a good team. They're a better team right now with Jimmy G than Trey Lance. But let's stop short okay. of calling him a championship team because if if they were, then they would right. never would have made this move for Lance in the first place. They would have committed to Jimmy G. Yes, because I think they feel like the odds of winning a championship without a guy who covers warts, you've got to be so. Like, I mean, look at the Super Bowl they were in, where they have what a ten point lead or something over you know over uh, over the Kansas City Chiefs. They're playing great football. And in that game, you know, and Kyle took a lot of heat for, like, oh, the play calling. Jimmy missed three or four throws in that game that that literally in drives that win them that football game. And, you know, it's they, like you want to talk about Braden Farts. There's a, they're, they're running a concept they call Buffalo. You know, you could call it Cobra. You could call it Viper. You could call it whatever you want. But the tight end is running what they call a through. Okay, so he's coming. They're in three by one formation. So they got tight end, slot receiver, outside receiver hit him, right? So a, a trips formation. So tight end runs it through. So a through route is about eight yards up the field, and then you're bending in. If it's a single high safety, you got to cross face. You got to get across the face of the safety. If it's double high safety, you go between in the middle. Make yourself a present target, right? It's the number one read in this concept. Number Two is running what they call pick curl. So he's running a curl route. So he's basically kind of taking his coverage guy that's on there, that nickel guy. He's trying to run 
through him and then curl underneath where the safety theoretically should be, right? So he's trying to do that, and then the number three guy is running what they call a now. He's just basically putting his foot in the ground and running like a real shallow cross underneath all those things. The first read in that concept is the through route to the tight end. Wide open. The linebacker doesn't run with him. It's, Mike, you could, you could, I could complete it. It is, there is nobody with George Kittle and within seven yards of him, 1,000, 1,000, that's how quickly it's open. And it's the first read. Jimmy is predetermined in that particular throw that he's going to the now route. And the linebacker jumps out there, and it's a third down and five, and he tackles it for three yards. If you dump it to the tight end, even a bad throw to the tight end, it's whether or not the safety one of the safeties tackles George Kittle. If they tackle him, it's a 15 to 20 yard gain. If he makes the guy miss, it's a touchdown. Instead, they ended up punting. And that one that like that one throw in a critical moment on your number one read where the linebacker, you know, because you see all the time when when you're running like a seam or you're running one of those routes, that linebacker who's a hook defender or whatever has to run with that tight end to a certain depth before he releases him so the safety can take over, right? The linebacker just sprinting out to, for whatever reason, he just, like he, like total gaff. Well, for all the 49er fans right now who are trying to force the bile back down into their uh, throat, uh, you sorry. can thank Mark Schlereth for that. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I, as you realize how close I, you were to winning a Super Bowl. Should have won it. But but here's the deal. At the same time, if everything is like there's nobody can nobody spins the ball any better than mm-hmm. Jimmy Garoppolo. Like Jimmy's a really good player. It's just, you know, you're you're gonna have a couple of throws a game that'll go, why? Why did you like why? 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 Leave why? go full Kerrigan on you. Right. Uh, uh, so oh, I was thinking about uh, yeah, leave Britney Spears oh, alone, no, I was right? About Nancy Kerrigan, after oh, yeah. getting Why? she was, why, yeah. But there was the other girl. I was like, leave it alone. <laughs> and I love, and I love, man, I love me some Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I got a big Jimmy Garoppolo hug on the pregame. Yeah, he is one handsome. Devil. What you? What was the line from Kyle? No, oh, yeah. They, <laughs> how did Jimmy look? He goes. He looked good, and he's still really handsome. <laughs> so that's the game you did last week. This yes. week, you're doing Philly and Washington. Yeah. Go back to your old stomping grounds in D.C. Yeah. But I want to ask you about Philly because I'm going to I'm gonna allow you to do something that you, you hate to do, and that is um, talk about how right you were. You know, I'm in my humility very rarely allows me to, you know, to – Pump my own tires, yeah, Mike. I'm working really hard to drag this out of you. Yes. Trust yes. me, folks. This is taking a lot of effort. But you said before the season, Philadelphia's loaded. That's a really talented team. And Mark, boy, they sent a message to the football world on Monday night. They look good. Yeah, that was it. That's we have it. to start looking at Philadelphia, never mind as the best team in the NFC East, but a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Oh, I, if. If they can get the kind of play they've gotten out of Jalen Hurts the first two weeks of the season, if that's who Jalen Hurts actually is, they're they're a, one of my Super Bowl favorites. Now, I've had back-to-back weeks 
with San Fran, well, well, with Philly and then San Fran, now I go back to Philly or go back to Washington to call Philly. Philly, yeah, you did Philly, Detroit, week one. Yeah, yeah, week one. I said this week one, and I said it in preseason when I talked to you about it. Roster-wise, one of the most talented rosters I've seen on film. Just unbelievably talented. This roster is freaking stacked. So is San Francisco, by the way. Their, their roster is stacked. Um, and, you know, the, the big question was Jalen Hurts, you know, how he progresses and, and what he becomes. And, you know, the, there's no question, you know, Howie Roseman, the GM over there in Philadelphia, who's done a great job. You know, they stockpile draft picks. They've got two first-rounders. So the, the whole, you know, the whole chatter out of Philly, and, and Philly is always, you know, the sky is always falling, right? The, the chicken, chicken Little, the city of Chicken Little, um, that, yeah, it's always like they're, they're just a cynic and I love them for it. Right. They're very much like offensive linemen. They're just are like, it's the Horton. Here's a who they're always pessimistic about what's going on. So the speculation coming in was, well, if Jalen hurts doesn't progress and if he's not what we think he is, at least we've got two first rounders to go after a quarterback, you know, maybe the kid from Alabama or the kid from Georgia. Right. So Anyhow, if, if you can get that kind of play out of Jalen Hurts, um, because you look at Philly, man, they're big. I mean, they're a big team, Mike. They are physical. They, uh, they are athletic. There's nobody in the NFL that I've seen on tape that possesses the same size athleticism quotient that Philly. Their, their left tackle, Jordan Milana, He's a rugby player or whatever, Australian rules football, whatever. He's six eight, like 370, 380, and, and moves like a dancing bear. Their left guard is from Alabama, uh, I think it's Dickerson. He's six foot seven, six foot six, three forty. Their center, Kelsey, is small, but he's incredibly quick and athletic and physical. They're they're I mean, their their right tackle is one of the best athletes at 320 that you'll ever watch in Lane John. They and they're built that way on the D line as well, Mike. They're just fast and physical, and they are nasty. They are a really, really good football team, and they dismantled the Minnesota team that a lot of people picked to win the NFC North. Now, of course, you you gotta you gotta weigh that out with a grain of salt because I don't know what the the I don't know what the uh, the opposite or the transverse or, or how do you say that? What, what is the opposite of a vampire? Cause whatever that is, <laughs> that's what Kirk cousins is. Yes. You put Kirk cousins in a Oof. night game. Oof. Like, you know how vampires thrive at night? Yes. Like that's what they do. He's all the their anti vampire, right? They do all their best work at night. Yes. All vampires don't, hey, you're not going to find a vampire doing any work during the day. Right. They're sleeping. Vampires don't kick ass during the day. No, 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 because the sun burns them up. Right. The dark burns up Kirk Cousins. There's n- <laughs> like, he cannot operate after, like, any, like, after 5, 5 30. He probably is like, normally he gets out of practice and goes right to, like, Golden Corral for a, b- a buffet at 435. <laughs> He's got the blue plate pe- yeah. special. Yeah. I, I don't know what the, what the, what is the reverse yeah. of a vampire? Boy, he does not handle prime time very well, does he? Oh, my gosh. Uh, speaking of somebody who still needs to learn something, ooh, Justin Fields learned a valuable lesson this week. It had nothing to do with reading defenses. Had more to do with reading the room. Mm-hmm. So after they lost to 
the Packers. And he uh-huh. was asked whether the loss to the Packers hurt more because of the Bears' history with Green Bay and how much fans want Green Bay to, to go down in Chicago to even up the lopsided right. nature of the rivalry. Field said, quote, yeah, it hurts more in the locker room than the Bears fans. At the end of the day, they aren't putting in any work. Mm. To which, naturally, fans did not like that. So, Fields tried to walk back those comments, and in doing so, I don't know, didn't really, maybe put his foot in his mouth again. He said, uh... There was a thing I said on Sunday after the game where I said the fans don't put in work. First off, I was frustrated after the game. Number one, I didn't want to talk to you guys, the media. I wasn't in the mood to come in and talk to you guys. What I meant to say is I'm I'm talking about the work regarding the game on Sunday, winning the game. I don't know any fans. I don't know what they're doing in their personal lives. I respect every fan that we have. I'm glad we have fans. And then he, he blamed the media for making a big deal of it. Yeah, that's taking it out of context. Yeah. You know, there are there are certain things about becoming like a franchise quarterback that are important. And obviously your skill set is important. Your ability to throw the ball is important. Your ability to understand defenses is important. All those all those things. Um your ability to command a room is really important. Um, you know who had all the skills in the world? Sublime skills. And Never really amounted much as an NFL quarterback, Jeff George. Oh, yeah. And there is something about not that you're not that you, you know, you don't have to go full Russell Wilson on everybody, right? And, and, you know, we're the, everything is great. This is the best place in the world, you know, my teammates. And then rattle off every teammate's name and give them a, you know, two paragraph dossier on each guy. <laughs> like, you don't what have Russ to, did the other day. Right. You don't have to you don't have to have a one question turn into a 17 minute soliloquy on on how great your team is. Um like that it doesn't have to be that, but you do have to have some awareness about you and about your responsibility to the fan base and how you're an extension of your organization and and you're really the one guy. I mean, let's face it. You know, even hardcore fans they love their team. But they root for their team. They, they root for the laundry. And you're the one guy that everybody knows, that everybody's connected to, that you, you're the one jersey, the one name that everybody knows. And so there's an added responsibility. There's an added, added pressure on your shoulders to be an extension of the organization and, you know, and, and be the community outreach, if you will. So you can't go out and uh, – you have a bad game or you lose a game to Green Bay and say, well, the fans don't care like we care. I mean, as a matter of fact, the can't, the, most of the time, I know they're not doing the work that you're doing, but most of the time the fans are a lot more passionate than the right? players, right? Yes, that's always been my um, – thank you for saying that because I respect the hell out of the work you guys put in. And yeah. I'm sure at the end of a game on, on Sunday and, and if you've lost, there is a real sense of uh, being deflated – because of mm-hmm. all the work you've put in. And, and yeah, you probably don't like to lose because of the work you put in. But I'm telling you, the fans, if you consider yourself out there listening right now a diehard fan of your team, yes, you live and die and care more about the results, especially the losses, mm-hmm. than the players. Because yeah. ultimately, I think it is a job for you guys. Right. Not for us as fans. Yeah. 
I, I think, listen, man, all losses hurt and all victories are great. But I think one of the things as a player is you learn, hey, man, I can't be, like, I can't ride that roller coaster, right? Like, hey, the wins are great, but next week takes precedence. So I can't sit there and, and bask in the glory of a victory like you can as a fan. The other thing is, is I can't, I can't, I can't allow a loss to drag me down, to ruin my confidence, to, you know, I've got to take it for what it is and understand that the other teams are really good and it's really hard to win in the NFL. And I got to learn what I can from that loss and I got to move on because I've got to be ready to play next week like it's the last game I'll ever play. And so the fan, there's certainly the fans carry it longer. Whether it's the victory or whether it's the loss, they carry it for the entire week. You have to, as a player, be able to flush it, both the wins and the losses, and move on. Fields will learn. He'll learn from that. Yeah. He'll learn. Uh, it, it. But when you're the quarterback of the Chicago Bears, yes, you need to know your fan base, and you need to know how much it, it means to them and, and be careful with some of the things you say. Mark, we're only two weeks into the season, but already we're seeing some 0-2 teams that it's surprising because they were regarded as playoff caliber, yeah. maybe even Super Bowl caliber type teams. So when I tell you these teams, you tell me which ones you think are really in serious trouble and those that you think can still rally. Okay. okay. okay? Play a little game. I know you love games. Yeah, <laughs> I do. You do love games. Uh, actually, they're all in the AFC. Yeah. Raiders. 0-2 Raiders. Owen to what is it about Belichick's disciples that leave the tutelage of Bill Belichick and completely forget all the principles ever taught to them? <laughs> Meaning, well, you're up twenty-three to seven against Arizona. You get a goal line fourth and one turnover on downs inside the ten yard line. I think it was inside the ten, as I remember correctly. Twelve thirty-one left on the clock. Okay, you're up 23-7, 12-31. Time is your friend. Pass incomplete, pass incomplete, pass incomplete, punt. You took nine seconds off the clock. When we talk situational football, you can't be any dumber. You know what Steve Kime, the general manager of Arizona, needs to do? Send the four-hour extra work clause over to J- uh, Josh McDaniels of the Raiders. <laughs> That's like, hey, hey, you might be, you guys might be interested in this clause, right? That is, uh, you, uh, you cannot be any dumber. You want to talk about complimentary football, dude? Your job in that is one to get off the goal line, right? Two to possess time on the clock. If you even take it down, let's say you use a minute, three straight runs, a minute and whatever. What what was it? 45 seconds of you take at least a couple minutes off the clock. You take at least because Tennessee's, I mean, uh, Arizona's not going to be burning timeouts yet. A minute and a half off the clock. Mm-hmm. Let's say you just take a minute on that. Even if you're three and out with three runs, you take a minute and a half off the clock. They don't come back and win that game. Probably not. So it like it's it's befuddling. So you know you, the, the old Raiders going to Raider. I mean that that one is you snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory. And that's a that's a drive right there that gets it done. Tennessee at 0-2. Mm. 
Mike, I think I think Ryan Tannehill like there's the you ever hear you ever read the book? You ever had business class? Did you you were a journalism major, right? Yeah, I tried to stay away from business. I was a general studies major, so I got a little bit in every department. Just a taste. Just a taste. I just came in for a little it was like a you know, it's like one of those, you go to a, like a dinner and all they serve is appetizers. Yeah, right. Horse divorce, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I just had a bunch of... Horse di- divorce. Uh, yeah, I just had a bunch of hors d'oeuvres, you know? I was like, oh, let me take them. Mm, so I like your, that. your college experience was bacon-wrapped shrimp. Yeah, I have bacon-wrapped shrimp. <laughs> and some chicken skewers. Maybe a, maybe a little tiny crab cake, right? <laughs> some meatballs. Yeah, man, a little Swedish meatball on a stick. That was my whole education. Oh, that sounds delicious, right? Yes. <laughs> but there's a, a book called The Peter Principle. And the whole concept of The Peter Principle is you rise to your level of incompetence. I think last year's playoff game, Ryan Tannehill met his level of incompetence. And, dude, I just think that that is, at some point, and I don't know that he's confident enough in his own abilities Sure, when when Henry when King Henry is rushing for two hundred yards a game, it makes it pretty easy. I wonder if he's looking over his shoulder a little bit with Malik Willis. Maybe. I just wonder. Yeah, I'm not here to make any light of any mental health issues, but he he did admit to going into a dark place after that playoff loss last year. Yeah, and you and you just got to wonder right now if he's ever really emerged from it. Super Bowl hangover also with the Cincinnati Bengals is Owing big. Too. Yeah. And and I saw some stuff where I felt like for the first time I'm wa- and I haven't watched every game obviously, but for the first time watching Joe Burrow where he felt it felt like he was sped up a little bit, like he's been hit enough now to go like, hey guys, like I know we tried to fix this offensive line, but I'm not really interested in getting hit like this anymore. And that's a sign of the coaching staff. Like for me, the coaching staff, you guys better figure this out. Because I'm not going to be the guy standing here bailing you out, getting hit in the mouth 17 times a game. I'm just, I refuse to do it. So that one concerns me. And the Super Bowl hangover is real for the team that loses. It is actually more pronounced for the team that loses than the team that wins. Yeah. One more. They're not 0-2, but they're 0-1-1, and they're looking bad. Indy. I know, and I thought. Talk of Matt Ryan being just washed. I'm not ready to go there yet. I'm not. He looked bad last week. I've got them. Jacksonville. I've got them the week after. Listen, here's the thing about that, though. Go through the history of Indy, regardless of who the quarterback is. Even with Jacksonville being awful when they've been awful, and they're not, they've really improved. I credit Urban Meyer. That guy was a genius before his time. Boy, did he lay a foundation. Yes. just He just said, hey, they needed a little tough love in Jacksonville. <laughs> they needed while they were stretching to be kicked, right? They just needed that. It really, it really toughened them up. Yeah. They needed me to leave them right. after a game just so they could learn to be on their own. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. I will say this though: um, there are those teams that you just can't, you just don't operate well against. They cannot win a game in Jacksonville to save their lives. Yeah, there, there is there is some mental block when it comes to the Jags. So I'm still gonna give them. Plus, I got them the week after next, so I need them to be better. I need them to get a win. <laughs> hey, you can't stay this week. Oh shoot! 
I needed them to play well. <laughs> That's right. They don't have to win. They just put need some to put good stuff out on tape. Right. Put some good stuff on tape. But the 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 benefit if you're a Colts or Titans fan, you play in the AFC South, and so you know what. Yeah, in a, in somebody's going to win that division by default. In a conference right? where everybody's probably going to have to win 10, 11 games to get to the playoffs, that division winner could probably get by with nine, nine and eight. Or eight and nine. Eight and I nine. could see them being an yeah. eight and nine division yeah. winner in that. Yep. So you got that going for you. Yep. So not all is hopeless. Not all. Damn. It's, it's good. So, I mean, week two, two weeks into the NFL, it's crazy how it's, it's already flying by, is it not? It does feel like it's already sped up, huh? We're already yeah. on to week three. Week three. Craziness. All right. Well, listen, for everybody involved in the Stink Truth podcast, I'd like to thank our presenting sponsors, the great folks over at Bet Rivers. Bet with a winner, Bet with Bet Rivers. Download the app, check them out, betrivers.com. Stinking Good Green Chili at stinkinggood.com. For Mike, I am Mark from Millennial Ben. We thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with you next week.